the Business Simplicity Podcast, where leaders share their most successful strategies and the failures that inspired them, so business owners and managers can avoid the suffering and reap the benefits. With your host, With your host Chris Parker. Welcome to the Business Simplicity Podcast. This is Chris Parker, and I'm having a conversation with Michael Wenderoth. And I learned about Michael back in March this year on the podcast called Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. And it was all about power. And I was really captivated by this whole thing. Uh, Michael will tell you about power. I'm going to ask him some questions about powerlessness as well. What does that mean? I think we're going to have a fun time, but um, I would really recommend to go back to Dr. Gary's episode from March because this might actually be just like a part two of that because I'm going to be asking him some questions that basically just came to mind when I was listening to that excellent episode. Um, I've also um, have read and enjoyed and we'll be asking him questions about his book, uh, which was recently published called Get Promoted what you're really missing at work that's holding you back. Um, and this is uh, fascinating. There's a, there's, a, there's a model in there about power mapping as well. And I believe that's what we're going to dive into. But before we get into the meat of it, Michael, can you, in the most simple way possible, share with us what is it that you do? Who are you? So, Chris, the question I would ask to your audience is, you know, have, have you ever felt stalled at work? that despite all the great things you do and you do what you're told, you feel like your smarts and your hard work are being overlooked or underappreciated. And at the same time, are you seeing kind of what you believe to be less competent people getting promoted ahead of you or getting more things done? Well, I'm an executive coach that helps these great people get ahead by helping them ethically leverage power and politics to break through and ascend. And leverage power and politics. Um, what was triggered within me uh, listening to you with Dr. Gary and, and also now is um, power and politics are often perceived as bad, negative influences and leveraging power and politics. Isn't that like evil, manipulative well, asshole management styles, what, you know, what, uh, obviously it's not. And that's why I'm asking the question. So can you, yeah. can you shed some light on, on a different way of looking at power? Yeah. So that is definitely what you've just described is the perception. As soon as we say power, as soon as we say politics, all of these negative connotations come to light. But if we kind of reframe or even look at beyond kind of the popular press and we look at just the simple definition, pull open the Miriam or the Oxford Dictionary. And these are simply two forces, forces that exist, okay, that are, that are out there and are very much a part of organizational life. It's like they're invisible. It's like the air we breathe. And they're very prevalent. And so you need to understand them. And if you simply think of them more neutrally as, as forces, as things that are there, you can think about them as ways because they are very effective forces at making things happen for good or bad. We can get into that. Um, and if you think of them that way, 
then suddenly you have this kind of liberation of kind of using these very highly effective forces in ways that can serve you, serve others, serve your causes or serve your organization. And just to give a very simple analogy, because I think sometimes we, we get into definitions and so forth, but just think about power, for example, as fire. And if you think about fire, yeah, it, it can be something you take and you go pillage and you go burn stuff down. It can destroy. At the same time, fire, we know, is a force and that can power a whole city, that can feed a whole village. You can do a lot of great things with it too. So thinking about power as a force and politics as kind of the air you breathe and the way things uh, get decided, um, suddenly, you know, shifts from this very negative mindset to a more, hmm, how could I use that to help me? It's also to be, to be aware of it. Um, with, at the end of the book, towards the end, there's a thing about, about um, and I loved, I loved it. It really made me think that powerlessness corrupts because we've often said, you know, that, that power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts ultimately or, or to some, something like that. Um, is uh, harnessing power in politics, isn't that sometimes, couldn't that be kind of a superpower that, that could be too strong? How, how do you balance that good and bad dimension that you mentioned earlier? Well, the, the good and bad, I think, is something personal that people need to ask, right? We have, you know, different uh, kind of ways that we view ethics. You know, we're both, you know, global and, and people come at this from different perspectives. So I think at the end of the day, each person has to kind of decide or organizations decide, um, you know, what is ethical or what are the bounds. Um, but this idea, again, of power and, you know, it is a way to make things happen. When you're in an organization, you have conflict, you are interdependent, you're dependent on other people, there's scarcity of resources. So there's mechanisms by which things get resolved. I mean, politics is simply that mechanism by which they get resolved. Mm -hmm. And if you think about power as, you know, a way to help you take an initiative forward, um, we, we need to get more things done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not a lot is getting done in organizations. So, you know, there's the, the saying is a lot of people give away their power by thinking they don't have any. And, you know, this is flipping it around and to say, instead of thinking about power, because we see so many negative examples of this, right? Of dictators, of really terrible CEOs or leaders who abuse power for their own personal ends. But if you can think about how you might use this in positive ways, um, it's a very sorry to use the word kind of empowering force. Um, and if you kind of abdicate, this is actually more than people abusing it, the, the more of the thing you see and studies have shown this, that people, as they rise, they kind of abdicate their power. They almost sometimes want to be too inclusive. They want to make everyone happy. And so they won't make decisions, right? Or there'll be analysis paralysis. And so the abdicating your power, that's actually not serving your causes, your organization, mm -hmm. or for example, you know, the people under you who want to grow and get things done. That is, that is a, a, in my experience, a, a really hard thing to balance. And that's something in, in the organization that I work with, with now that it's, it's, um, which is basically formed through many different acquisitions that how do you balance designing the 
company that we want to be together while still being inclusive and accepting, um, respecting um, the origins, the visions, the values of, of the, the amazing people that have, uh, have come on board. And then there's also the question of, okay, well, when does some of those um, tensions cross that line of, of, of not being acceptable and, and what to do about it? So these are, and this is really all about power as well, meaning uh, it's a it's the momentum and force of a, of a large organization moving forward um, with the momentum and force because we all have momentum and force we're, you know we're in our career we're doing our thing mm-hmm. um, and and how do you how do you do that together so uh, Michael how how did this become a, a thing in your life because your background you you're, you um, I think you still even teach sometimes at, at Stanford and you have experience in Europe and China and in, in the US. Now you're an executive coach. Um, why is this the, uh, an important mission for you? So it's, you know, like we say, like most things kind of start personally. And, you know, if I look back and I share this in the book, but at the very beginning of, of why I have focused on this area, I saw a lot of great people not get ahead. I saw a lot of great people get, you know, use this analogy. They weren't in the game making an impact. They weren't even the coaches on the sideline making an impact. They were on the bench or they were relegated somewhere else. Smart, hardworking, self-effacing, humble, all these things we want to see in our leaders. And then the ones who were getting the limelight weren't necessarily, (laughs) we can attribute lots of things to those people, but um, a lot of narcissists, a lot of people who were doing backstabbing and other things. And so it was very personal saying, I mean, it made me angry. I think it makes most mm. people angry. And I mean, one of the things about coaching is, hey, could you flip that around and be curious about it for a minute? Because as soon as we're in that anxious brain, we can't think straight. And it did make me curious because I went and I read a lot of the evidence and the evidence would actually show why, because political skills and understanding power is what you need as you get to upper echelons. You're working through other people and, and you know, big organizations, you have to have levers of influence. And so, I, you know, I was thinking, how can we help some of these people who got derailed, who came to me and that's, you know, very painful when that happens, or they weren't being fulfilled or feeling like they were making an impact. How can we help those people maybe learn some of those skills that have these negative associations, which I don't think necessarily have to be negative, but not necessarily become those people they despise, or maybe have, in a lot of cases, have dubious ethics. So I dedicated myself to focusing on that area, helping people. Um, and ultimately that also helps organizations. You know, to your, to your point before, we could go deeper into this. I mean, diversity, equity, inclusion, a lot of the things we see with uh, the, you know, existing societal problems, you really can't address those things unless you really understand power dynamics. So helping people Understand on one level, right? So you can see what's going around the power plays or things that are going on around you is, is one level. But then it's another to say, hmm, how might I want to engage or harness that in ways that could be helpful or in line with my values or ethics? And that's where I think the book really comes in because that can be tough, right? We've, we've grown up with certain scripts or ways that we're up, you know, brought up. Um, the leadership literature tells us a lot of things, um, which I would challenge. But 
helping those people um, has been really my my core mission. That's how I came into this area. Yeah. What's resonating with, with me when you say it and, and, um, and, and the equity and equality and inclusion came up is, is oftentimes um, these biases happen if we're just operating by default. And if you are being more conscious and, and designing perhaps your career or your team or your organization, then you can be more aware of these things. And I, and I agree with you. If you're an anxious, stressed, fearful mind, then it's then if you're if you're a bit busy with your basic survival, then you're probably not you know worried about you know inclusion so much. Um, nor are you probably aware of of you know designing your own career path and, and the power forward. Um, um, what I'm just curious. What would be a a, a perfect uh, client for you, meaning like, where is that person in the organization and, and, and what is the question that they come and, and what are the outcomes that, that someone would be able to expect? Yeah. So the, the clients that I think benefit the most are those who, you know, have gone from beyond individual contributor, they're at that kind of manager or emerging leader role. So that's middle senior, let's call that senior manager, director, VP. And, um, you know, they're, again, these talented attributes that we think of, they really want to make a difference. Um, but they have those things like, I have been passed over a couple of times where my initiatives aren't getting through. And some of this stuff, you know, this new person came in or this person I dislike was able to really <laughs> get their initiatives to, to go through. So those people, it's kind of like, they're frustrated. That's for themselves and the organization's missing out. So that's, you know, and they would say, I feel like I'm missing something, right? Or they're moving into a level and they say, you know, this is a, a different arena I'm playing in. And I know I need to do something different, but I can't quite pinpoint what that is. So that's really the sweet spot of people I, you know, I work with and who benefit from it because it is getting them to think differently about these things that they reject. Mm -hmm. Oh, politics means that you're not doing your job, right? <laughs> or power is... Uh, you know, evil. Um, and I shouldn't kind of lean into some of those things um, to make things happen. And, and when we work together, usually there's a, a part like they've been frustrated that they haven't been promoted. Um, and I would call that kind of a main issue that triggers people. They get frustrated about that. Um, but deeper, really, when you unpack that and when we start working together, it's, you know, people aren't feeling valued, right? This is essentially why people leave organizations, et cetera. It's not always about money and other things like that. Um, so when we work together, sometimes it is about propelling their career path so they make more impact, um, or it's them helping them use these forces or thinking differently about them to how they interact and how they get things done, um, or ultimately even deciding, hmm, this isn't the place I'm going to be able to make the impact. I shouldn't be so frustrated. I should also build my own power and leverage and find a place or build something on my own that's going to more embody my values or be the kind of place that does the things that, that I want. Yeah, those are, those are excellent reflective questions because um, you know, either you accept the situation, you change the situation, or you exit the situation. Um, you know, of course, there's all different, different um, you know, variances and all that. Um, uh, as you go into higher levels of, of organizations, um, power and politics are, are 
really just part of the fabric of people working together. So um, would you agree or would you state that actually managing power in politics is, is really core to the job of an executive? Short answer is yes. I think it's a critical skill that we haven't, you know, <laughs> career skill that we haven't called out, um, navigating power. Um, we talk about all these other things, right? Agility, knowing yourself, emotional intelligence. And certainly those are parts that feed into this, but there is that power dynamic, right? Yeah. Someone else controls resources or they see very differently than you. How are you going to, and you don't always get to choose those people that you work with. Um, and you may be just set in structurally because of the way things are designed, <laughs> right? Marketing and sales yeah. often fight because of the way things are set up or their incentives are, are misaligned. And so um, you need to kind of recognize that. And, and I would say, you know, we need to get more things done, less, you know, divisiveness, um, but finding ways to, to make things happen. And one of the tactics for that is um, outlined in the book. Um, again, the book is Get Promoted, and there's three main sections, the rock, the map, and the snowball. Um, so what we're about to talk about is a little out of context, so I would suggest people get the book. Uh, and you can download a couple chapters at uh, Michael's uh, website, which is uh, Change Wenderoth. Chang. Chang Wenderoth. So my middle name is Chang. There. Chang yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, this is actually, it's good to yeah. point this out because yeah. I, I'm half Chinese. And so Chang is my middle name. And uh, so people see that as change. So I always have to say, oh, it's not change, it's Chang. Changwenderoth.com. And there's all sorts of links on the show notes as well. So if you're wherever you're listening to this, just follow it straight through. And what we're going to, what I'm really love to talk about, and this was the, the question that I had after listening to your conversation with Dr. Gary, is what is the power map? Like, like, can can you describe that? Um, and 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 how would how would you make such a map? And 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 what is the value of it? Yeah. So the that three part framework of which the book is laid out is the rock, um, the map, and the snowball. So those three pieces, and and the map that center part is about getting strategic. Um. So to talk about kind of what the power map is and why it's useful is, you know, I encourage everyone to think about how they spent their last week, right? How are you spending your time in the organization? And, you know, presumably everyone has some mandate or things that they're trying to get done. And when you really analyze that, you know, if we could talk about 80-20 rule, lots of frameworks to think about this is you really want to be spending all your time on things that can move the needle. Um, and probably, and this is what makes a lot of people effective, is figuring out what you shouldn't be spending your time on, right? That has little return. The power map, and we can talk about the genesis of it and so forth, but is, is really a tool to get people to look at their organization in terms of where power influence lies and where you need to be engaging, you know, in conversation with or influencing so that you can better move the needle. And so the power map is different than an org chart, right? An org chart may look really pretty and tell you certain things, but it doesn't always tell you exactly where, you know, power sits. And so this is a different lens by which you look at your organization and you understand, okay, it's different also than a stakeholder map, but where power lies, you know, because this is organizations or people, what those people care about, what their agendas are, 
who they're influenced by. And that then, if you kind of have the org chart and if you were to overlay the power map, it might look very different. And depending on what you're trying to do, this is a very versatile tool. So maybe about getting promoted, making a lateral move, or get this change initiative through. It gets you to think about where do you need to spend your time? You know, this point about how do you become more strategic and intentional? We can talk about tactical things you would do. But first, if you want to kind of so-called see the lay of the land, you know, you have your goal, but if you want to kind of chart things out, that to get to point A to point B, you want to be saying, hmm, are there things that are going to help me accelerate that path? Are there barriers in the way? And how do I best navigate that? Because to go back to this point, you know, a lot of people are actually spending their time maybe down in their team on things that frankly aren't moving the needle as much. And this helps you get that focus. A, well, two, two phrases you put in there, and I, and I want to just call it out because I, in my observation, many people aren't busy being aware, consciously aware of these things. But you said, okay, what is that person interested in and who is that person influenced by? Because uh, what, what I oftentimes see people looking up the org chart and they're like, okay, well, that's the CFO. And therefore, the CFO is the numbers person and will be very you know, structural, brained, et cetera. Um, and I think those preconceived notions can really, um, blind people because, well, what is that person actually interested? In? You know, maybe that person is, is truly driven by some sort of sustainability to issue and, and has a completely different set of passions that, you know, maybe the person's work title have this, and maybe that person's influenced, you know, because, you know, when he or she sits in the cantina and, and, and for some reason, you know, has lunch with the, 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 you know, the facilities staff and that's where the person gets, you know, their, their connection and their nourishment and stuff. And it's, I, I think a, a lot of these things um, we don't see. So how, how would you recommend that people become aware of these dynamics in order to even you know, make such a map. Yeah. I, and I think this is a really good point because we will make assumptions, right? And to use that old <laughs> um, saying, right? If you assume you make an ass out of you and me. And so a lot of this is I, I get people to think about, again, this curious mindset. Think of yourself as an anthropologist. Think of yourself maybe sometimes as a detective. And because again, this, I go back to the central point. I don't want to hammer on it too much, but organizations are people. And, and people make decisions, all of these well-known biases by which they make decisions, right? We like people who are similar to us, who <laughs> fuel our agendas, et cetera. So you can start with certain things about human behavior, but there's the part around, if you assume like in your example, the finance person just cares about numbers, maybe they don't. And there's, sure, there's some business concerns, like how is that person's incentive set up? But there's a huge part of kind of the ego, like what else motivates that person? And I think as you go further up, these things almost play even bigger into what happens to people. Um, and so a very simple exercise, we can talk about multiple ones, and there are some in the, in the book of, to think about this. But one of them is, you know, I'll give you, well, two, you know, one is to get in conversations with those people, you know, not just in kind of the, the meeting where it's hard to have that, 
we, we underestimate the need to just have meals, conversations with people to know them outside of, of work setting. I used to kind of crap on these kind of offsites or, you know, ice breaking activities, but they do serve a purpose because they get to start to connect on a human level. And people want to have that connection and actually can smooth over a lot of things, you know, that may come up in the future. Um, so to have those conversations, just be interested, you know, <laughs> what do you do for fun? I mean, there's that level, but there's also like, hey, what keeps you up at night in your job? You're, they're in a different, very different function. Um, or if you can wave the magic wand, what would be one thing that would just double our, you know, business? And so having those conversations, being interested is one thing. The second to this point about being an anthropologist, and I, I spent a long time in design thinking, <laughs> you know, and innovation. And, and the core there is that people will say one thing and they will do another. And so it's really useful to observe people. We used to do a lot of fly on the wall observation from people brushing their teeth, right? When I was doing work in dental to interactions between doctors and patients to even how meetings unfold. And here's what you can do is, you know, be a fly on the wall. I mean, not literally, right? If you're in a meeting, but watch who's paying attention when someone else talks, you know, who is maybe nodding at someone else you know, are often the decision was already made before the meeting, right? And so can you tell like, you know, who's deferring to who? And this can, and it applies across cultures. You really need this in certain settings, right? Where the, maybe the decision maker is kind of in the background, but then the last person wants to double check, they will go to that person who was silent on meeting and say, is that right? The clear action. And so you can get a sense then of what the, the power structure looks like or who's influencing who. And that can serve you extremely well. And, and there's precedent for this, right? One of the most effective in what we would call political presidents, I'm going to use a US example here, uh, Lyndon Johnson. He was the master of the Senate, you know, as he rose. And I mean, I think everyone should read the book, um, you know, kind of his, his biography. But he actually had his aides go analyze those meetings and other senators. And so he, and, and I've seen sales reps, we can talk about how this applies to sales, really understand what made individuals tick. So if you think about this in, in government, right, in, in a Senate setting, he knew how to bring votes together. He knew how to horse trade because he knew the things that mattered to people, either because it was in their interests or because something applied to their ego or their identity. And literally he would create these, and I think, you know, probably in some places too, you could see this like dossiers on people. Um, and you can see this played out in House of Cards, if you like, you know, popular culture, he goes to the file on all these individuals. Um, but that's something, and I'm saying you have to create a file on every individual, but to be aware. And I, yeah. I want to come back to your point on that. So Michael, um, what is the, the power map then? Is that, is that the, the file or is that a, is that a, a physical sort of topographical map or is, is there an outcome or, or is this more of a, a, a conscious, you know, mental exercise? Yeah. So it is a actual piece of paper, <laughs> you know, to, to one thing, because we can, organizations are complex and, and, and I find it helps most of the executives I've worked with when they put it on paper and not trying to do it in a PowerPoint or Excel, you know, take out a piece of paper <laughs> and a pen, uh, sorry, the other way around. And, and to actually start with this and say, you know, well, who's the person I believe is the stakeholder or key decision maker on this? 
what's about some things about their background? Like how did they come up? What is their identity probably linked to? What are they, you may make some kind of assumptions or guesses at the beginning, but you want to kind of validate, triangulate through observation, conversations. What do they matter about from a business perspective? What do they care about an ego perspective, right? And then who influences them? And you kind of, kind of build it out that way. And notice you're kind of starting with probably the most powerful person. And you're not, frankly, it's usually not on the bottom of an organization. Um, but this can be helpful in lots of ways, right? So if you're saying, who is the person who promotes me? Right? Who are the ones who will have sway in the room when the vote is made or the decision is made and around succession planning, et cetera? Or it could be, you know, let's look at initiatives. Who's going to be the one if they got behind this, they would accelerate it? Who's likely to block it? Um, and so this is really, really essential. And we can talk about the genesis of why I believe this is really important and effective from having done a lot of work as a sales trainer and, and particularly selling into B2B environments. But you've really got to think about how you focus and spend your time. And this helps kind of lay out that landscape of where things are going to be to move the needle or minefields you need to yeah. be aware of. Oh, it's funny you, you mentioned sort of enterprise or B2B sales because that, that was also in my mind. I was like, hey, this sounds like, you know, some sort of account plan, meaning, meaning okay, where are you trying to go with the account? You know, who's the actual decision-making unit, the DMU, as we sometimes call them, and who are the influencers and blockers and who are the... Yeah. Um, and uh, no, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, and I, I, uh, I, I'm pulling out from, from uh, the book as well. I think it really has to be... Maybe this is what the rock is about. Knowing what you, what you want, where where are you going? What 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 is the actual mission you're on? Is it like to, to get an, an initiative moving forward to get your career to the next step or or something like that? So, um, is that sort of how you know and, and, and how someone would do this? Just to ha have a, a strong intent, do the power map, um, and get things moving, and then maybe call you for some support. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, The Rock, I think, has two dimensions to it. I'm glad you called that out because that's, you know, we went right into this map, the middle section of the process. But The, the Rock, too, is, is, you know, what do you want? You know, when you ask a lot of people, they actually can't tell you. are like, oh, I want to be positioned for this. And so, it forces them. And I'll just silence. What, what do you want? What do you want to achieve? And this is a really important question to ask people. <laughs> And for people to name, I think people sometimes feel reluctant of, oh, it's bad to be like, want to get to the C-suite or it's bad to want to really get this initiative through because it's going to change the dynamic organization. Call it out because then it helps you be very intentional about the things that you will do to help achieve that. And in fact, you kind of pull it back out and we do this on a coaching basis. Are we moving the needle in that regard? You know, yeah. or do we need to reset the goal? Because all the things you're doing would not indicate... <laughs> that you're trying to advance this. Is it something else? And that's not to say your goals can't change, but naming it. So that's one part of the rock. And then the second part of the rock is this deeper part around, let's pay attention to social science because there's a lot of like, I'll give you advice on this. Leaders will say, do this. It's not what they actually do. If there's good research out there, I think it behooves us to look at it. And the research would say, right, your political skills is the number one thing that propels you upward in the ranks. Certainly when you move beyond individual contributor, yeah. as one example. No, absolutely. I, I think um, being very intentional and clear on, on where you're going and what you want. Um, and what I also find is, is sometimes when, when people aren't clear with what they want, they can also be then very aware and almost fixated on all the reasons why it won't happen. 
sort of into victim mode. And I, yeah. and I think the more intentional you are about, you know, for the positive right reasons, of course, where, where you want to go, um, then there, then there, somehow there's this shift of people start looking and seeking or being aware of enablers and supportive uh, factors like that. So, um, Michael, uh, thank you so much. Um, this this was the the conversation of of you know part two of Dr. Gary's uh, episode. So so again, I would really urge people to go um, on 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 Apple Podcasts or wherever you Spotify wherever and listen to that March uh, episode uh, with yourself and, and uh, Dr. Gary because they get I think a little bit more into your background and where you come from and and, and it's a yeah. bit of a wider. And then what I was really hungry for was this this deeper dive. So. Thank you so much. I would really recommend people go to uh, changwenderoff.com uh, and there you can download uh, a first couple chapters of the book um, or just go ahead and, you know, wherever um, and get an order, get promoted. What you're really missing at work that's holding you back. So, um, Michael, um, thank you so much. Is there any final message for people who are looking to take that next step in their career that you'd like to close with? First, so th thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed the conversation. And I would tie in things that we both do, right? You know, which is simplicity and being able to focus on the things that move the needle. Um, you know, this is the, the big challenge for people because there's so much going on. <laughs> you know, organizations are, you know, understaffed and people are overworked. There's so many distractions now, shiny objects out there. So it's really getting to whether that's in your business or things that are going to move the needle in your career or things that matter to you is how to help pinpoint and whether that's kind of the simplicity and the exercises you talk about or using some of these tools of the rock, what actually does matter and the map of where should I be focused? I think that's the number one thing that's going to help people and where they should get started. Yeah, uh, let, let me take a, cu a couple minutes on that because, like, with the simplicity scan that that I use in my work, it's um, it's coming at a different angle on some of these things where it's typically designed for a management team, an executive team, or, or some sort of group of, of people that can influence the organization. And through a series of exercises or, or simplicity sprints to discover really where they're what I like to call in violent agreement or violent disagreement. Um, because this is where you can discover some of these things where power might be working against the organization. And if people are in complete agreement, I also I always like to ask why. I mean, what is the preconceived notion or the assumption we're making there? Like, is this a trap that we're falling into? Or if they're all in disagreement, then you're like, well, why? You know, because assuming all these people are, 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 are professionals and, and, and solid in their job and they will have a, a, a rational reason for this, well, engage in that dialogue. And then oftentimes there's things behind the scenes, you know, what they're interested in, what they're influenced. So I can see a nice, uh, a, a nice yeah. merge of those things. So, yeah. Uh, great. Michael, thank you so much. Um, and again, uh, last plug for you, uh, uh, changwenderoth.com. And um, of course, wherever you get your book. And I, I believe it's uh, in, in soft copy book as well, ebook, mm -hmm. um, get promoted. So um, thank you so much. This has been delightful. Absolute pleasure, Chris. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening. Download the Simplicity Toolkit from ebullient.com to discover the power of the Simplicity Scan and Sprint. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player.